But we're going to take just a few minutes and look at the Torah portion and some of the interesting ideas that are contained in it. Before we do, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. We're reading this week from the Torah portion that's called Balak, after the name of one of the main characters in this episode, and it begins a series of readings that will ultimately take, I think, a total of four weeks spread out uh, in order to read the whole story and how things finally end up. It's, it's an interesting way that the Torah teaches us something, which is uh, you don't know the whole thing. You don't know the end. You don't know the whole story at the beginning. Things take time to unfold. And I've noticed that some people like pithy verses and pithy life, and they, they want to capture everything in something short and sweet. And for people who read the Bible that way, this can be a challenge because you'll come across certain passages that have certain verses that maybe will give you the impression that another key figure, Balaam, or in Hebrew, Balaam, is a great prophet of God because he prays to God. He has a reputation for powerful prayer and prophetic ministry. He has prophetic insight. He speaks certain things, and he meets with God, and it can give you the impression that he's a godly man. But that's not the right impression. That's a first impression, but it's a wrong impression. You have to read the whole story to find out that he really is not a friend of God. He's really not a positive spiritual man. He's actually a false prophet. And the prophets of Israel and the, the apostolic writings of the New Covenant make it very clear that Balaam, Balaam was a false prophet and that he had a motivation that was impure and it was corrupted by a love of money. And he abused and misused whatever spiritual gifts and talents he did have and whatever potential he had, he misused those, and thus he becomes a lesson for us. But it's a hard lesson for many believers because many believers do not understand what a false prophet is and thinks a false prophet is someone who's like, you know, he's got horns and a red tail and a black tuxedo, and he speaks terrible things, and that's not what a false prophet is. That might be a, a, a false demonic thing, but that's not a false prophet. A false prophet is someone who mixes together what is good and godly with what is unholy and what is utterly displeasing to God. And they mix it together and toss it out in such a way that people can be impressed. Soothsaying, being able to be a clairvoyant and to predict the future is not the sign of a prophet because there are many who 
who have done that who are ungodly. So even that ability sometimes misleads uh, modern believers. They think, oh, if someone prophesies about the future and they're correct, then they must be a real prophet of God. Once uh, I was teaching a group of Christian leaders and I decided to, uh, to use this passage and this story as our text. It was, it was a Bible lesson and we had about uh, an hour for it. And I wanted to teach something that was unforgettable and I'm afraid it was. What I did wasn't perfectly fair. Well, it wasn't fair at all. Because I, I collected passages from the story of Balaam, and I collected passages that made him look good. And I collected passages that revealed him in his evil. But I gave one side of the room the good passages, and the other side of the room the other ones, but I didn't tell them that. And so they're sitting around as small groups talking, and I asked them to read their passages, and then to discuss the question was, was Balaam a good, good guy and a good prophet? And the side of the room that got only the good stuff said, yeah, he was. And the other side that got only the bad stuff said, no, he wasn't. And it got a little bit uncomfortable. Because it, it didn't make sense. Why are all these people saying, yes, he is, and all these people are saying, no, he isn't? And the truth was, each of them was looking at only part of the story. So when I told them that, some of them said, wow, we're never going to forget this. And others said, you will never come back here. And as a result, I haven't been back. But, because maybe it wasn't a good way to teach it. I think it was an interesting way. I learned a lot from it. They should have known it. Well, actually, some did know and were arguing with the others. So it, it got out of hand in a, in a good way that, you know, leaders can get out of hand. Sometimes we think we know the whole story, but we are not familiar with the whole story, or we haven't gotten to the end of the story. The scripture has this wonderful statement that everything is beautiful in its own time, and that God knows the beginning and the end. And so as we are reading this uh, series of Torah passages over the next few weeks, I want to encourage you to... Um, to read at home and to read carefully and slowly and to become familiar. If you're already familiar with everything, read again and take note of what you see and look at what's fresh and look for details you may not have noticed before. Try to put things together. And if you're very familiar, then take it even a step further and that is try to study with someone else. Sit down together and just study together. One of the most simple ways you can study is also one of the most rewarding, and that is 
uh, that two people come together having read a passage and you bring your Bibles and then you just talk about what you read and you talk about what you see in the scriptures, the questions, the insights that you have, what gets your attention. And if you do that, it's very rewarding. It will help you. So there may be someone who's not familiar, but you want to help them learn. So uh, buddy up together and study. The, the problem, if, if you're unfamiliar with these texts, is they're so, they're so filled with detail and nuance, it's hard to catch up if, if you haven't read them at all, if you don't know any of the details. So I'm not even going to give a cursory overview. I want to extract an idea, but I want to encourage you to, um, to read on your own so that in the coming weeks you can actually participate more actively. I want to focus on, on one particular person, Balak. Say that name with me, Balak. And he is the king of Moab. He is an enemy of Israel, and he considers Israel to be a threat to Moab's uh, well-being and future. He doesn't know how he could go to war with Israel, with uh, Israel having the blessing of God, and he has this idea that he could hire Balaam, Balaam, to come and curse Israel and thus weaken Israel. And the efforts at spiritual cursing don't work. But Balaam does not settle for that, and in the final weeks you'll read what, he, what plan he comes up with when just the power of cursing really doesn't get anywhere. In fact, Balaam, against his will, sometimes tries to curse, and what comes out are blessings, which is frustrating to everybody except the Lord. Well, I want to focus on Balak because of his motivation. He had a motivation to defeat Israel, and what's very clear is that even though he has authority, great authority in the government of his society, he does not love what God loves. He doesn't value what God values. He doesn't want to build up what God is investing in. He wants to tear it down. And his character is revealed. He's ready to destroy Israel. In fact, his name Balak means destroyer or devastator, either way. And his idea is the only way he can coexist is to defeat. He's not ready to make peace with Israel, nor is he ready to show honor, respect, or love. But what's really missing from him is something that could be missing from any one of us, and that is learning to love what God loves. Learning what is pleasing to the Lord and making that a real priority. It's impossible to love a person without knowing what they love. I, I found out the hard way as a young married man I thought I would surprise my wife one year. We were doing well. I didn't believe in car loans. I believed you saved your money and you bought a car and you paid cash for it, and so I did. And I bought my wife a car, uh, and it never occurred to me 
what colors she likes. Didn't even occur to me. And I parked it outside, got up one morning, and it's like, surprise. And she's a generous, kind, loving person. And she looked at it, it's like, now I know. This is probably her least favorite color. <laughs> yeah. And instead of going, wow, it's like, you know, something was restrained. And I found out that I should have been paying attention. How many guys have learned this? We should pay attention. Yeah, once I bought my wife a, a winter coat when we lived in places that had winter. And I, I asked a friend of hers, you know, like, I saw a, a friend of hers who had what I thought was a nice coat. And I said, where'd you get that? So she told me. So I went and got one for my wife without really thinking about the differences in these two women. My wife was much taller, this woman was much shorter, this woman had blonde hair, my wife has dark hair, and a few other things uh, of difference. And I give this present to my wife, and she says, this looks like something that'd be good for our friend. I said, well, that's why I got it. And she said, but it doesn't look good on me. I was so stupid, I didn't even think that I had to understand that at that time. Now I know. <laughs> yeah, so I, I did ultimately learn, and there was a time when Sandy uh, needed another car, and she said, why don't you just pick out this? And I said, are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> so I learned something that, that Sandy doesn't value surprises as much as thoughtfulness. That was important to learn. And the Lord, I think, is like that too. It's not so important to him that you surprise him, but he appreciates thoughtfulness. And what does thoughtfulness mean? It means paying attention to him, finding out what pleases him. What does he really desire? And what you'll notice about Balak is he has no interest in that. And Balaam is compromised in his interest. And in this way, we see why these people are corrupted in their spirituality and in the way that they live their lives. Because they do not have as a priority the desire to please the Lord. They want God to make them powerful and to do for them what they please. They want God to say yes to their prayers. How many of us can acknowledge that we've wanted God that way? We want him to answer our prayers. He's looking for people who will answer his prayers. Do you remember that prophetic scripture that says the Lord was looking for someone who would intercede and there was no one? No one. No one who would stand in the gap, who would discover what it was that God wanted to do in order to fix a situation or to help people in need. No one who even cared. No one who was willing. And so I read this passage and this whole story, and I think it's not just about false prophets. It's about false motivations and wrong motivations as well. 
And it encourages me about something, to pay attention to pleasing the Lord and discovering what's pleasing and good in his eyes. To, to use our strengths and our resources to do what he considers good. What does the Lord require of thee? The prophet says in the Haftorah. To love mercy, to do justice, and to walk humbly with your God. He requires that. Why does Yeshua answer the question, what, what is the greatest commandment, by saying, to love the Lord your God? And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. How is it that these can be so great? It's because they're so significant. If we pay attention to those, things fit in, fit together, and our spirituality becomes real and significant. Religiousness without a desire to please the Lord, it's really empty. Just trying to assuage our guilt really is not enough. To come close to God is what's being offered to us, to be able to know him, but to know him and his desires. To love him means to get close to him, to fellowship with him, so that we can find out what is pleasing. And I, I, think, about, I think about the argument that the disciples had with one another regularly. It wasn't just a one-time thing. But they argued who was the greatest and who would be the greatest. They argued in so many occasions it was like predictable. And then there was a moment when one of them got his Jewish mother involved. <laughs> which is cheating, really. Actually, two of them. Um, and their mother came and said, Yeshua, let my boy sit next to you. And that prompted him ultimately to say, you don't really understand what it means to be a leader in the kingdom of God. It's not to have a high position of authority. It's to be a servant. What does that mean? To, to want to do good. If you want to be great... Be the servant of many. If you want to be the greatest, be the servant of all. Make it your commitment to do good for all around you. And this is really the hallmark, I think, of, of being a God pleaser is we find out what pleases God, and then we do that. And one of the things Yeshua said is this, if you love one another the way I've loved you, then everyone will know that you really are my disciples. If you love each other the way I've loved you, they'll know. That's how they'll know. And we may have other ways that are cheaper for us, but his way is this. You love me, show love to other people. Demonstrate it. Put it into action. So there's the the neighborly love, but it's rooted and founded upon the love of God. 
and this is the key for, I think, everything. So the writer of Hebrews says, without faith, without trusting God and being faithful to God, it is not possible to please God. But, but what if you become a master of Hebrew prayers? Won't that do it? What if you learn to keep Shabbat so fastidiously that it's perfect in your eyes? Won't that do it? What if you become whatever it is you're trying to be? It may not work. It takes faith in God. It takes trust of God. And it takes faithfulness to God. This is what pleases him. If you remove the faith and the faithfulness, you know what? It's impossible. Let's say that word, impossible. It's not that there's a 50-50 chance. It's not two to one against you. It's impossible to please God. But what if I do this or I do that? No, impossible. Your deeds all by themselves will never make it possible to please God if they are simply your way of trying to get right with God. The only way to get right with God is on his terms, to learn to love him with all your heart, to love what he loves, to be a God pleaser, and then to be faithful to him and to trust him through the real challenges of life. I'm getting ready to have eye surgery. And I can honestly say I've been nervous. My wife is, she said to me the other day, I'll be glad when this is over. She said, you're not acting like yourself. I said, well, I'm getting emotional about it. And she said, I know, it's like you're under stress. And I said, I am under stress. That's my stress. I can't, I'm having difficulty seeing clearly, and I know what's going on. It's going to take surgery. I don't want two needles stuck in my eye, um, which they'll have to do. Um, but it's necessary. And so it's not a crisis of faith for me, though. Some people have been praying for healing. I've been praying for healing. Because honestly, I would rather be healed, wouldn't you, than, than have uh, two needles stuck in your eye. And they're more than needles. But yeah, of course we'd rather be healed. But it's not a crisis of faith, and I'll tell you why. God is with me. He's walking with me. I'll go through the bumps and the ups and downs knowing the Lord is with me. He doesn't have to smooth everything out for that to be okay with me. Do you hear what I'm saying? If you don't get this part right, life can be a disaster and faith can be very unstable. If you think that believing God means you're on easy street now and that you will have no problems, I just want to wake you up to what Yeshua said, in this world you will have tribulations. That's part of the good news. <laughs> it doesn't sell very well, but it's part of the good news. And he says, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Meaning that this age and this broken world we live in is gonna be transformed one day because of what Yeshua has done, utterly transformed. 
and we are hoping and expecting. And in the meantime, we bring good news to others, not just to ourselves. And we don't wait until everything's fine before we tell people that God is a God of mercy and love and good news and that he heals people. I'm rejoicing because Mike Gordon is stronger than we thought he could be after what he's gone through. And I know you're rejoicing. And, but we were praying for him, many of us praying for him to recover and thank the Lord he's recovering. And we look for a complete recovery for you. But we know the Lord was with you and he saved your life and he's restoring you and your days aren't over and my days aren't over. And so I, I want to tell you when, when you go through these challenges, keep your eyes on the Lord even if your eyes are cataract blurry. Don't worry about that. Don't let that stop you. I heard the recent poet laureate of America describe his experience with old age before he died. Someone asked him whether um, he was angry with his body for getting old. And he said, oh no, I lament getting old, but I'm not angry. And only a poet could say it like that. And he said, what is there to be angry with? This is part of our life. And, uh, oh, there's a little lamenting, but nothing more. And I thought, well, that's pretty good. I think I'll have that attitude. <laughs> so I want to encourage you. Keep reading the scriptures and discover the encouragement and the reality that is presented. God doesn't whitewash stuff. He doesn't oversimplify it. He takes deep things. He presents them to us in ways that can be life-changing when they get a hold of us and we get a hold of them. Keep reading your scriptures. Read the story of Balak and Balaam. Take note of it. Take note of what you see and what you understand. And pay attention to this. Who's trying to please the Lord and not just be religious? Who's trying to please the Lord and not just be spiritual? Who's trying to please the Lord and not just get their way? If you read the stories in that way, you'll see a lot. And you'll learn a lot. It'll make you strong, too. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be God-pleasers. We don't want to be those who are just seeking the approval of other people, but as Paul wrote to the Galatians, we want to seek your approval more than anything. We don't want to make it our goal to please people. We want to make it our goal to be a servant of Messiah, to love you and to love other people and to show that love, to demonstrate that love in consistent ways. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you give us stability in this unstable world. You give us a hope and a future, even through the challenges that we face. Thank you for every day that's ahead, every year that's ahead, every decade that's ahead. We consider all the future that you've planned for us to be hopeful and a blessing. And we say this in Yeshua's name. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's benediction. So please rise. I'm taking two. This is like so exciting.
how can you be sorry? I'm so happy. <laughs> Two of my favorite people in the world are standing next to me. Dr. Chuck, Captain Aaron, Commodore Aaron. <laughs> Commodore, I like that. I like saying that. <laughs> Great men of God. And they both have strong grips. True. True. <laughs> His may be stronger. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ya'era Adonai panavelecha v'yichunecha. Yisa Adonai panavelecha v'yasem lecha shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Amen. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. May I shake your hand? You <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Just had to do that. You have to. <laughs>